Hey, Ralph. Hey, Jim. How are you doing today? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. All right. Well, we've got our music back here today. That means we're in our uh, university, ultra-lush, ultra-sophisticated uh, recording studio, correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay. And we have as many as, count them, one, two computers going for us. <laughs> and two cups of coffee. Yes, right. we might, must not forget the coffee which fuels our discussion. Okay. And I want to talk about a couple of different things today, Ralph, that some, some things that I've been noticing um, uh, as I you know, kind of look at the world, things that have, I think, something to do with psychology. And one of them is about our old friend CRISPR. Okay. We talked about CRISPR about a year ago. And uh, for those uh, who listen to us regularly, you may remember our discussion. If you have not uh, been listening, CRISPR is one of the modern techniques within the last really three years of uh, genetic editing. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea is that you could go into the geome and manipulate parts of the DNA strand and uh, get a whole new species of something or other. And initially, three or four years ago, we, we talked about it during the uh, Neuron Week uh, uh -huh. a couple of years ago and had some scientists on looking at it. One of the things that we talked about was that uh, this could be used for uh, good or it could have some uh, perhaps evil uses. And, uh, uh, of course... We were reassured that it would never be used on human beings, that it's at an experimental level and, you know, it works in cats and dogs. Well, shortly after that, we heard about a Chinese scientist who used the CRISPR technique on a couple of uh, kids in China who had some sort of a, a, a genetic disorder. and. The scientific world was up in arms about that. Do you remember that, Ralph? Yeah, and people were saying, oh, you can't use this technique with human beings that, you know, that would violate ethical principles. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to the, the whole notion of Mary Shelley and... Uh, and Creating a Frankenstein. Frankenstein, yeah. So, okay, so we're not going to do that. Well, in the last month, at least, I've heard of two additional uses of... Um, uh, CRISPR, one for uh, sickle cell anemia. Okay. Uh, and it seems to have uh, some good results there. You take out some of the sickle cells in the red blood, manipulate a something or other, put it back in, and you know the the new gene replicates without sickle cell. We got good use of it, right? Okay. And no uh, one's up in arms about that. No one's up in arms about that. Well, that that. Uh... You know, is is interesting, Jim, in the sense that uh, sickle cell anemia seems to have a preference for uh, for blacks, um, and this is a, a positive thing then for the African American community that uh, well, we're, yeah. we're looking at something that is going to cure one of the incurable maladies that. Uh, some of them are born cursed with. Yeah, I mean, no, no, uh, uh, no argument on my uh, part. Uh, yeah, and it's I... just that um, we go from, you know, it should never be used to, oh, it's being used for a good thing. 
And the study that came out about two days ago, and I think I could find it, it was reported on NPR, was a different way of using CRISPR to um, uh, help people who are blind. Okay. And people who are blind are now able to see. They're not able to see perfectly well, but they're able to see better than they were able to see when they were totally stone blind. Again, good use of, of the CRISPR yeah. technology. But the thing that was interesting to me is that we've gone from it'll never be used on humans to or with humans to an outcry when it was to now, you know, we're seeing uh, uh, good uses of yeah. the technology. Now, there is a countervailing thing with that, Jim, that um, a researcher in China uh, about three months ago um, created uh, a basically a, a chimpanzee uh, that had some human genetic um, material incorporated into it through CRISPR. Huh. And this was hopefully designed to uh, improve the intelligence of the chimpanzees to approximate, uh, say, a human child of about uh, six. And that created a big storm uh, and people were calling this uh, this creature a golem and uh, <laughs> so on and so forth, uh, you know, which is a, another term basically for a Frankenstein-like uh, creation. So there still is, depending on what you do with it and depending on your positive results or... Uh, or whether see uh, people see that it is medically uh, useful, uh, there's still some controversy over CRISPR and what you can do with it. Yeah, I think that uh, controversy will probably uh, continue on. Um, you know, most places that have uh, uh, like medical procedures going on have uh, institutional re review boards, and they look at the the science, and I think they probably look at the ethics too. Yeah, so it has uh, to pass some muster. There's, a, you know, in in most hospitals, there there is a, an ethics review board that can be convened if you have, for example, a controversial heart surgery, uh, uh, or uh, one parent says, yes, go ahead and do the operation, and the other parent says, no, we don't want this intervention. And the ethics committee has to sit on that and weigh out yeah. the benefits to the patient, the patient's ability to decide for themselves, uh, the parents who are split, how do you weigh this out? And so there, there is ethics review on a lot of stuff, including the use of CRISPR. Yeah. Okay. So this is a story that we will continue to, uh, to follow. Ralph, one of the things that you and I have talked about over the past couple of years or so is positive psychology. We have done that. Yes. And, uh, you know, we've cited research that says that feelings of gratitude are... Um, positive, that they, they help uh, an individual with his or her uh, cognitive, emotional, and behavioral functioning, um, you know, other, other kinds of things that are, that are positive. 
But have you ever wondered how that exactly works? Well, you know, I have because uh, one of the things I'm, I'm going to say now, and I may have said it before for our listeners, is there is a, a kind of a rubric that says, um, here's what you can do to survive. You need the rule of three. Is this Peterson stuff? Three seconds without hope. Three minutes without air, three days without water, three weeks without food. Okay. Okay. So we start with hope. Mm, okay. Three w seconds without hope. Which is where the positive psychologist comes in. Mm -hmm. If you don't have any hope for the future, uh, if all you see is the bad stuff that is coming upon you, mm -hmm. uh, the chances are that even if you don't die, uh, your life is going to be a life of hellacious events, one right after the other. Yeah, good good point. So hope, what fuels hope? Well, there was a, um, uh, a Facebook article that Sheila got, and she forwarded it on to me. And um, this guy, whose name is uh, Bob Nesbitt, used quantum physics to explain some of the things that perhaps you and I have been talking about. He uh, says that um, there are both positive and negative waves in the atmosphere, and the positive or negative waves will produce positive or negative outcomes. Okay. Are you interested in knowing what those waves are? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, or what the outcomes are. They fall into um, what he thinks are seven different categories. One, he thinks that our thoughts uh, will influence our outcomes. He thinks that the, the, the company we keep will out, uh, influence outcomes. He thinks that music and the things we look at and the atmosphere, and that's not talking about air, I don't think. He's talking about the, the atmosphere that we surround ourselves with affect outcomes. That the words that we speak affect outcomes, and we're going to get to words more in a few minutes, and that our gratitude affects outcomes. And I'm going to put this up with um, um, our learn more um, uh, thing at the end of our, our uh, uh, podcast today, but are you interested in unpacking any, any of these a little bit more? Thoughts? Well, yeah, I think so, because, music? you know, one of the things we know when when we get down to finely enough uh, divided physics is we we are sitting here at a desk and uh, we have uh, a wooden desk touch wood where are you when, going with this well when i rap on that desk both the sound i produce and the feeling in my knuckles say that desk is solid right but at the atomic level, it's not. All the atoms are vibrating back and forth. Uh-huh. So there is a vibration in the universe, and we would swear that stuff is absolutely solid, but if you divide it up finely enough and look at it, it's not. Right, right. I think everything is in motion. Mm-hmm. Aristotle 
did that one, didn't he? I he, think. Yeah. Well, he was one of the the very earliest of theorists who mm -hmm. thought about yeah. atoms. Well, so if we have, for example, thoughts, mm -hmm. um, thoughts are electric electrical activity in our brain. Mm -hmm. Our brain is like the table; it's made up of material atoms that are moving. Uh, then it. Maybe is not a surprise that if you are thinking positively in the area of positive psychology, uh, that you will have positive emotions. And if you are thinking neg negatively, if you have three seconds without hope, uh, then your thoughts will spiral downhill. Yeah, okay. Then getting to the, the seven that Nesbitt has uh, um, looked at you know we've got you know company you keep and and gratitude but uh, one of them is is music and uh, this is going to have a tie-in with the third thing we're going to talk about today so here's what he says about music music is a, is very powerful if you listen only to music that talks about death betrayal sadness abandonment uh, all of this will interfere with what you are really feeling and you know, uh, I don't listen to a lot of music, period. Jimmy Buffett, I suppose, is, you know, my go-to, uh, and he's pretty positive. But uh, I've talked to some uh, people who listen to contemporary music, and apparently there's a lot of it that is about death, betrayal, sadness, abandonment. And if you're a kid and you're getting that into your mind, mm -hmm. Nesbitt mm -hmm. would say it's... Uh, you know, you're 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 polluting yourself. It's very, it's a you know, it's a powerful uh, powerful poison. Yeah, and you know, I would argue, Jim, that um, you don't necessarily have to go to uh, the world of classical music and listen to that exclusively. But the thing is that you know, if you're a young person and you have a steady diet of uh, heavy metal music and these themes of uh, the evils in the world of various kinds, um, then maybe listening to either um, early pop music or the big band era of the 30s and 40s or something that is an anodyne to what you're hearing when, when you listen to, uh, you know, the... F the police and uh, yeah. shoot, shoot the enemy and so on and so forth right. in various pop songs today. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, um, it really can't, can't hurt you. Right. Um, so Nesbitt says things like uh, the words that you speak or the words that are spoken to you or of you are going to affect you. Things that you look at, the company you keep. Your, your thoughts. And that brings us to a book that I showed you yesterday, Ralph. It's yes. On, it's on the desk. Maybe you could pick it up. And... Yeah, it's, uh, it's a book by Masaru Emoto, and it's called, uh, the title is The Hidden Messages in Water. Okay. Now, had, before I gave you the book yesterday, had you, had you ever seen this book before? I had not. Okay. And... It's a New York Times bestseller, at least that's what it says on the on the cover, and it's a thin book. It's not, not very many pages, maybe 150 pages or so. It's got lots of pictures, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. 
and here's the here's the the premise of this book. Um, this guy Omoto is a, a PhD researcher who I'm sure was not necessarily interested in positive psychology, but rather he was interested in waves and vibrations, and just like Nesbitt here, and he was looking at the consequences of different kinds of vibrations. Now, how do, what, what do I mean by that? Somehow, and it's described in the book, he was able to get vibrations in water. You know, okay. so, so you might play some music, and the water in a cup vibrates back and forth, right? You've maybe seen that before. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so he then would vibrate the water with various stimuli, uh, like music, and then through a technique that I'm not sure of and I could not replicate, but other people can, he would take a sample of that water, freeze it, and get ice crystals. Okay. Now that I could do. I could, you know, I can freeze water. Uh, right. But yeah. what I would do with that water afterwards, I'm not, you know, really sh sure. But on the cover of the book, what do you see there, Ralph? There is, uh, a, I'm going to say, for lack of a better term, a snowflake-like crystal. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an ice crystal made from the water that was stimulated by something. Yeah. Okay. Now, if we look at that picture, Jim... It's a nice crystal. Yeah, and I'm going to say that uh, maybe if you were reaching and you were doing a, uh, a Rorschach test type interpret this drawing, that you could argue that the uh, center of the crystal has what looks like, uh, could be interpreted as, an angelic figure reading a book. Okay, well, can you tell me more about that angelic figure reading a book? Well, no, the... I mean, that's just one right. one possible interpretation. I'm right. sure that somebody else would say it's a, it's a satanic figure with a bat underneath it. You know, I yeah. mean, okay. there, there are all kinds of, of interpretations yeah. possible. Yeah, I see the sat satanic figure with the bat under it. Yeah, okay. Hmm. It says something about me and something about you, I think. Yeah, so... we. We could say, then, that okay, you get um, some sort of stimulus, you put it into, direct it toward the water, you freeze some of the water, and you get something or other. And I talked yeah. to a, an ex-physicist the other day, and he said, well, it's just all you know, correlational. You just, it's kind of like you. You get to see what it is that you're you know, really yeah. wanting to see. Now, the, the interesting thing to me, Jim, is that... Uh, this uh, this scientist who uh, pioneered this technique of uh, frozen water crystals mm -hmm. uh, tried it with various uh, city waters. Mm -hmm. And what he ended up saying was that most city waters will not produce crystals. Right. Or I, I've got the picture here someplace. Because of what or, or pretty uh, bad-looking crystals. Yeah, what is what uh, happens in the uh, in the process is they end up with uh, sort of uh, blobs, and he says that that is because uh, 
the water has been tampered with, that various things have been added to it as pollution controls, and that the, um, the pollution uh, controls themselves have altered the water uh -huh. so that it doesn't produce crystals. Okay, which is kind of interesting. Uh, if you live in Paris, you probably um, you might not drink the water. If you live in London, maybe you do, or live in Tokyo. But look at these pictures that are the result of water in Paris, London, and Tokyo. There are no, no crystals there at all. You know, they no. look pretty, pretty bad. Here's one. Rome, not so good. Venice, not so good. Bern, in Switzerland, begins to look like a crystal. This one is kind of a misshapen crystal. It's Washington, D.C., New York is kind of fuzzy, but here's one I thought was interesting. This is Vancouver, you know, Vancouver in Canada. Um, so the the water definitely affects the the yeah the quality of the water. Yeah. Uh, now, one of the things that uh, uh, when my wife and I were living in Canada uh, many years ago. Um, there was a locally reputed waterfall that um, was supposed to have healing properties, curative properties. Okay. And uh, it was up on the, the place called the Ranger Lake Road, meaningless to our listeners, but uh, basically um, um, two-lane gravel road. Yeah, about 50 miles north of Sault Ste. Marie. Yeah. Yeah. And you could drive by this waterfall, which was, you know, quite visible from the road. And there was a pool, of course, at the bottom of it. And if you got into the pool and got the waterfall uh, coming over you, uh, what it was basically doing was it was generating ozone. Uh-huh. And the ozone, uh, which is uh, positively charged particles were taking away the negatively charged particles that you were exhaling and so on if you were on well. Okay. Now, this that's, is going pretty far afield, isn't it? I mean, yeah, for you but, and I, and I would assume that there are many skeptics in Sault Ste. Marie. There certainly were, and people said that that is, that is not true at all. But I once took a friend of mine up there, uh, who was suffering from a terminal hangover and uh, put him in the water and uh, half an hour later when he emerged, he said, I feel normal, better, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, that's, that's a positive instant of one. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to say that a hundred thousand people with hangovers would emerge uh, wonderfully cured, but... Okay. It seemed to work in yeah. this case. Okay, so let's go back to the water in Vancouver versus the water in in uh, Tokyo or you know, other places. Um, we had some pretty bad-looking crystals from well, everything, every place with the exception, I guess, of Washington and Vancouver. But let's test out the water in your waterfall. Well, we can't do that. We're sitting here in Mount Pleasant, and we're a long way from the Ranger Lake Road, and we don't know how to do this anyway. Right. What? But Emoto does, and so he has taken his research team to unpolluted places uh, 
natural places, kind of like the one you just talked about. And look at these crystals, Ralph. Do you see a difference between the crystals in, uh, that we saw earlier in various cities and say this one, spring water from uh, uh, a lake in China? Yeah, yeah, you do. I mean, the, the spring water is definitely uh, a perfect crystal formation. Okay, now here is the same water from the same spring, okay, and it's been treated with chlorine. What, what, what do you see? Uh, it's a very deformed crystal. It, it looks like it's starting to form a similar shape, but half of it is just obliterated. Yeah, wow. And uh, do, you th do you think we have chlorine in a lot of our city water? I'm willing to believe it. Mm-hmm, yep. Okay, Nesbitt, a few minutes ago, we alluded to, and uh, he talked about the effect of music. Um, now, how much of our body is water, Ralph? Well, I think the figure is that we, we start out... Uh, in the immediately after birth, we're about 90% water. Uh -huh. And gradually over the course of our life, we lose uh, that 90%. It uh, gradually changes uh, to a lower factor so that, say, by the time we're 80, we're down to maybe 70% water. Huh, I, I didn't realize that. I thought we probably had the same amount, some 90 plus percent. Um, but still, you and I are mainly water. Yeah. You know, we're, we're walking around lakes, little mini lakes here. Now, and, one of the things, and, and I'm going to reference back to Emoto here, uh, with this, the, the water uh, component of our bodies gradually reduces as we age. He says that's one, that's one of the aging factors, that our blood no longer has uh, sufficient liquid water mixed in with the other parts of blood, mm -hmm. the hemoglobin and the white uh, cells and so on, to adequately circulate, which is one of the reasons why people get um, less flexible, less uh, uh, strong, as they age from uh, when they were 90% water. Okay, so interesting. So a couple things are going on here. We're getting less water, and if we can believe what he says, um, the quality of the water has decreased also. Right, right. Okay, so Nesbitt was talking about um, music. And here's what he said, I've read it before. Uh, music is very powerful. If you only listen to music that talks about death, betrayal, sadness, abandonment, etc., then it's going to interfere with what you're thinking about. So you mentioned uh, maybe listening to classical music, and a kid who is listening to this might say, I don't want to listen to classical music, but here is a ice crystal. Um, that was bombarded with Mozart's uh, Symphony Number no. Forty. What's, uh -huh. it, what's it look like, Ralph? It, it looks uh, very symmetrical. Uh, it's got a, a system of crystal formation in the center that look like a number of uh, octagons. Mm -hmm. um, here's it, here's one over here on the next page. Uh, Air from the G string, which is I don't remember who the the uh, 
composer is, but I do. What does it look like? Again, it's a pretty decent crystal, isn't it? It is, yes. Okay, so in the next page of the book, or, okay, there, this is kind of an interesting, this one's from Swan Lake, uh, Tchaikovsky. Doesn't look like a crystal, but it looks pretty interesting, doesn't it? Yeah, and this is the first of the crystal formations that he's photographed that is colored. Yeah. It looks almost like a rainbow. Mm-hmm. So let's then suppose that not all of our listeners are um, listening to Swan Lake. Now, a lot of our listeners are probably of the age where they remember who uh, Elvis Presley was. Certainly, right. you right. and I do, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's a Heartbreak Hotel by Elvis. What do you see? Okay, this is a very dislocated, irregular, poorly shaped crystal. And on the base of it, it's got uh, four edges that look like it wanted to be a crystal, but then it just dissolved. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't remember all of the lyrics to Heartbreak Hotel. Since my baby left me, I got a new tale to tell. Down the end of Lonely Street at Heartbreak Hotel. Um, sorry there, listeners. But <laughs> you know, that is what you know, Nesbitt talks about in terms of, say, abandonment and unhappiness and depression. Um, here's another one. Okay, this one here. It's opposite to the Elvis one. The Beatles yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Oh, my troubles were so far away. You know. And that one is uh, is more symmetrical, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's not as uh, not as nicely shaped as some of the uh, crystals were for the classical music. Yeah, right. Now let's uh, let's go to one more set of crystals here, and that's uh, this set. Let's see, is that, yeah, this set of, yeah. okay, so water's been bombarded by the sounds from heavy metal music, and what do you see? Well, I see something that looks like uh, somebody has just sucked out all the hemoglobin of, uh, of a human cell. It's uh, a yellowish beige, and it's not a crystal, it's just a smear. Just a blob, yeah. So, now, you and I, if we heard Ralph and Jim talking about this, are going to say, you know, this is not psychology, this is, this is something else, you know. Yeah. And these, yet, these guys have gotten lost in the woo-woo. <laughs> yeah, lost in the woo-woo, that's good. Um, and uh, so, other people have done research, and that's going to be uh, uh, a link to other research is uh, going to be uh, uh, included with Learn More. But one of the studies, the first study on the list, was an interesting one. Um, it was done uh, in Japan and in California, and uh, the, uh, the authors of the study had uh, water in a specific place in California. They told their participants, about a thousand people, to think positive thoughts, of think of thank you and gratitude toward the water. Okay, okay which is in California, yeah. which is uh, 5,000 miles away. Mm -hmm. Then they uh, 
did the, the procedure. They froze the water. They took you know, pictures of the ice crystals. But in this particular study, they had another jar, I suppose, of water that the, uh, the senders knew nothing about uh, in a different location. Okay? So this would be the control sample. Okay. They froze it, took the samples, made their pictures. Then they had a hundred judges judge whether or not uh, which which samples were most aesthetically pleasing. I think that was the term they they used. Now you can see that some like that heavy metal one. Would you say that was aesthetically pleasing? No, it uh, it looked like a raccoon that had been run over by too many eighteen wheel trucks. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, we could probably get some sort of um, uh, agreement as to what is pleasing and what isn't. Well, not only did they get agreement that the crystals that were in the experimental group, just to use a term that we would use, were more aesthetically pleasing, uh, but the uh, probability level was at the point zero zero one level which is very, very high for any kind of research in, in um, yeah. psychology. So there are other studies that uh, you can take a look at as well. But it goes back now to what we talked about with positive psychology. Maybe Seligman has an idea of how it works. You and I, maybe not so much. But with the work of people like Nesbitt, who's talking about frequencies, or the pe people like uh, uh, Emoto, um, we're getting to see, and I think you and I have talked about this before, that what we see, what we do, what we hear, what we think, does affect in some way how we perceive the world. It, it, affect, yeah. it affects our psychology. So the physical world affects our psychology. And, you know, we should, that shouldn't be a, a, uh, a surprise you know, to us, all we have to do is look at some artwork, like look at the, the work of, of Van Gogh, and you can see how the, uh, his emotional state, you know, affected his... His painting. Uh, his yeah. painting. So this and, is just in the opposite direction. And the interesting thing, Jim, you know, I, I gave that little rubric about uh, three uh, seconds without hope, three minutes without air, and so on. And... I have a, a friend of mine uh, who is um, suffering from negative mental uh, spaces. And I gave that to him about, uh, oh, maybe two months ago. And yesterday he said to me, you know, I think there's something about this three seconds with hope, without hope. He said... I've been deliberately trying to not let myself have no hope. And, you know, I think it's working. So I think one of the things that we can say is that whatever we believe, whatever we focus on, uh, is what is going to control our lives. Would you accept that, Jim? Accept it, I will, and uh, I hope that this is an eye-opener, or a, a thought-opener at least, for some of our uh, listeners. Okay, so be of good cheer, live in hope. Until next time, this is Jim. And Ralph. Saying, 
keep your stick on the ice. Because we're all in this together. together.